like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. pause for a second. You want to just roll right into it? Yeah, I just wanted to, um, I, I'd love for you, Lisa, to give some examples of the things that you did, because people think of you as such the play-based person. It's so shocking to know that you have a deep, dark past. And then we'll talk about, about your journey and other people's journeys that they can do and stuff about all these young people who actually never experienced true play themselves though we're freezing up is that just me he is just you did you unfreeze yet see now with a landline you'd be fine whatever make me a mac make me a a a laptop (laughs) she's a hole she's she's in florida so she might not be fine no she might not be sorry about that hard landline problems there too um okay so um do that thing where i introduce the show Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker, and back with us is Lisa Murphy. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig into the deep, dark, nasty past of Lisa Murphy. People look at her as being this this play based person, but but uh, it hasn't always been that way. And we we heard well, the last episode one story, and we're gonna we're gonna hopefully hear some more. Let's hear yeah, you know. I I got introduced to Lisa once I'd already written my first book, It's Okay Not to Share, and I thought, oh, here's somebody who gets it, because she was actually the first person who came out and said, I agree with all of the 29 Renegade Rules, and I had never yet met another human being on the planet, except the people I interviewed for the book, who agreed with all of them. Usually people would say, well, yeah, half of them are good, or I can go with all except these two. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. Here's somebody who really gets it. So then I was intrigued when I was looking at an advanced copy of your new book, um, Being Child-Centered, that, yes, you actually had kids line up on a masking tape line and then have to stand still in order to go outside and all sorts of things. So I wanted to give people inspiration if they're feeling stuck, either in their mindset or in the center they're working in, that change is possible and joyful. And even people like Lisa Murphy were where you are now. And so, yes, you can totally change. So this is a sort of a series of podcasts. We're going to interview all kinds of people. And if this is you, if you're listening, you think, I have a story like that, get in contact with us. We would love to interview you. So, Lisa, can you give us just a couple examples of where you were in the dark side? On the dark side. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to reiterate something that I said as we wrapped up the last episode, though, which is that I had a memory bank of knowing 
that where I had drifted was not the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. And I, I think that's something that needs to be unpacked, maybe not today, but maybe with some of your future guests. But I, I think that's very important. I went into teaching with the mindset that we talk about and preach about and you write about and I write about and Jeff writes about and we all talk about. I went into teaching like that and quickly got smacked out of that realm, like boom. Like, and I even say that in my playbook, which is, you know, I, I very quickly learned that the kind of teacher I wanted to be was in very stark contrast with the teacher that I was now being expected to be. And because- By the system. Mm-hmm. The system. But, but I would even argue that it wasn't the system per se, it was the person that I was paired up with. The person that I was paired up with as a first year teacher was a very one, two, three, eyes on me, crisscross applesauce, you know, one, you know, it's, it's January, this is the theme, it's February, this is the theme, and that's why I call her Laminated Lady in the playbook, because she had lesson plans that were laminated from, I swear to God, her first year of teaching. So because I didn't want to get fired, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid and got with the program because that's what she told me I needed to do. She said I asked too many questions. She said we had to get kids ready for school. Um, She actually put me in a timeout one time, which I think I tell that story in the new book. Um, And Where was your timeout? Where did you actually go when you were put in timeout? She told me I needed to go sit down. There was like a table that the kids weren't at or weren't sitting at. She said, I need you to go sit down and think about what just happened. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like like, putting me in a timeout? And and she's like, I just need you to go sit down and think about what just happened. And, And if you were to unpack that whole scenario, it was that her control was being threatened in her lens like it wasn't and, and if you if you did it if if you as a as a grown human being listened to her her control must i mean she must have been pretty good at it she scared the she scared <laughs> me a lot i was scared of her and i didn't want to get fired because i still had that you know first you know oldest child don't ever make anybody mad BS in my head. So I didn't push back against her, but she was older. Not that that's a thing, but you know, I was in my early twenties and she was in her late sixties at at that time. And she was like a, an authority figure. And I, you know, Catholic school upbringing, I kind of bowed down to her and figured that what she said was right. And then I'm sure that's a dynamic that lots of people listening to this, this probably relate to. I mean, I think we've all been in those situations. We've been there. I know. I've been, I'm a type A perfectionist personality and, and I don't want to get fired. You know? don't want to get in trouble. Exactly. I Although trouble. I just want to, I want to put in a little plea when I, when I do conferences, I see most of the people who have, who are older and have gray hair in the audience who are still in the classroom teaching. They are often the ones that get the child centered in, uh, environments more because they remember it. They can draw on that experience. So there's can be older, younger dynamics of all sorts with co-teachers, yeah. but sometimes it's actually the older ones who, who really get at that gut level what um, what we're aiming for with play-based in a way because they directly experienced it um, themselves that, that other kids um, growing up who are now adults didn't get to. 
I agree 100%. And that's what I call the pipeline problem. And Jeff knows that I talk about it in the book is, you know, so yeah, so that was the first three years. Uh, and, I, and I'm grateful for that. She taught me what I didn't want to do. And mm -hmm. for three years. And then and Lisa, can you tell, just give some examples of yeah. before she arrived in your life, what kind of uh, controlling type um, uh, activities before were city. happening? Yeah, before, before, before that, when you're... BC, how funny, we'll call it BC. Before Cindy, BC, we had, okay, so I, I, I really want to say her name because it makes it easier, but I can't. So Laminated Lady, that's what I called her in the book. A poopy face she would set up there were 12 kids in that particular class and she would set up six activities on each side of the table and you could sit there and she set a timer and you could sit there and interact with that activity for until she set the timer I don't remember if it was a minute I don't remember but then when it dinged you had to stand up move and go to the next manipulative that's what our listeners are going to understand like it was like a geo board or it was like pegboards it was like small motor fine motor activities on the table and she would go stop start stop start and you had to stand up move down stand up move down you had to sit on the carpet Eyes on her, one, two, three, eyes on me, crisscross applesauce, hands home, she said. I had never heard that before. Hands home. And you had to have your hands on your own body. But then the boys would put their hands down their pants, and then that made her mad even better. <laughs> right? right? You, Lisa, when you said hands home, that was my first thought. Of course, I'm going like, to touch, touch my wiener. Anyway, so, and then she'd be like, bro, not that home. I'm like, but that's what. So she was like, so all over the place but what i will say heather is that she was consistently developmentally inappropriate which some of your listeners are going to resonate with that i might not be as play-based and developmentally appropriate as i should be but i'm consistent in my enforcing of my inappropriateness so the kids knew what was what in that classroom they did and to that i will not a hat to her but she also along the way taught me how i didn't want to be and at the same time what you just said you knew what you weren't supposed to be doing mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. on the did she scale did did she seem to get any joy from the job i don't think she did she actually here is a really weird random memory of her that I've never had a really honest organic place to place this memory. She came to me one time. I was no longer with her. She was still there, but I was with now Cindy. And she's like, I, she was complaining because she had to fill up her bulletin board with something. And she's like, I can't find the circle pattern to cut out a circle, like the die cut thing. Uh-huh. And I was like, just so cut a circle. And she said, not everybody is as good as you. And I was like, I'm just cutting a circle out of construction paper. And she got really bent out of shape about that. And I was like, I'm just cutting out a circle free form. And that set that was a trigger, apparently. Hmm. Sounds delightful. So when you were in the more restrictive controlling 
teaching situation. What was your gut doing? I mean, you said you'd experienced this as a child, a true play environment, and you'd come into teaching with these ideals intact. So what was your, what were kind of the thoughts going through your head or your stomach as you were being asked to implement something you didn't believe in? What happened? What happened? And I didn't get any support from my administration. And I didn't get any support at the time from my co-teachers because they were all doing the same stuff. So I felt like, oh, shoot, you know, what I thought was what was supposed to be happening clearly isn't what happens anymore. And And I had no, at that point, I wasn't going to workshops. I wasn't reading a lot of books. I had nothing, I had no other. Yeah, I was going to say there there wasn't an internet there for you to reach out to. There are a lot of people that are in that situation now who have hundreds, if not thousands of people that are in the same situation they can reach out to online. But back in back in the day, that just didn't exist. And it was reinforced, you know, when I did start going to conferences, it was kind of reinforced. And so I, I, where are those people? So then I, then, then I went to Dallas and the whole Dallas story, quote unquote, happened. And then I had what became, you know, my launch pad, so to speak, of, of what is now happening. But it was only after that point that I found people who were like, yes. You know, and that's when I found Bev Boss. That's when I found Dan Hodgins. That's what Tom Hunter, you know, that's what I, well, Jeff was a little later, but I mean, he was in that circle of people that I found that to your comment a, a little bit ago, it wasn't just a pat on the back of reinforcing and creating the vacuum, but it was like, yeah, and yes, and yes, and there's always, there's always more. There's always more. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing the laundry list of, of stuff that I talked, and that's what I say in workshops. I was doing everything that I tell you to stop doing. And until you stop doing it, you're not going to believe that what I'm telling you is, dare I say, I don't like better. I don't like easier. I, I it's, it's just about right. It's right. It's organic. It, fit, it fits with children. It's what children need. It's, it's basically just being respectful and addressing their needs, yeah. which is what we're all about. Um, why do you think I'm, you drift, you talk about this as drift, which I think is a good word for it. Often we do as kids, you know, if you ask a kid what they think about these topics, they'll, they'll just go right for the, you know, the heart of it. But then as we get older, I call it adult amnesia. You're calling it drift, but there's part of our brain that changes so that we forget that it's okay that they're doing this kind of play when we come back as, as grown up people and look in at, at how it should all be run. Um, why do you, what do you think are some of the main causes of drift? In your case, you were up with a co-teacher, but how are everybody, where, where are we getting off track and, and why does the drift so, happen, do you think? I love that you, uh, uh, Bev Boz called it childhood amnesia in that we forgot as we got older because we have bills to pay and we've got a roof to keep, you know, over our head and we've got, you know, we, we've got stuff. We got, you got stuff that you didn't have when you were six. And so that takes our attention. And I have found that it's most successful when you're able to link the adults back to that. So why does it happen? You know, I think that answer is honestly different for everybody. For me, it honestly happened because of those three years that I spent with her and I drifted. Now, what was funny is that the drift only happened at my work. It didn't happen with the children that I interacted with outside of work. 
Ah. Mm-hmm. So, so it was uh, expectations in keeping your job. You could turn it on and become this other kind of teacher, but it wasn't really who you were inside. No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so I think it was quicker and easier for me to get back. And w- so once Cindy showed up, BC, I was able to be like, yo, thank you. What was funny though, and I don't know if we unpacked this really in the last episode at all, but Cindy was never allowed to get away with being Cindy. I was able to get away with executing and implementing what Cindy's ideas were. I could get away with it. If Cindy started doing it, she got in trouble. Because? I, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea. But Cindy, to this day, if you called her, she'd be like, yep, I would say something and get in trouble. Lisa would do it and it would be fine. And that's when I realized that the inconsistency in the school was to the point where I needed to move on. And so although we joke about if you're really upset, go start your own program, that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, you know, sometimes when I work in a workshop, there's a lot of people from different classrooms, all from one center. And it seems as if each classroom is its own universe because, uh, you know, if there's a Lisa type teacher in that classroom, things are run one way. And then if there's somebody else with a different personality or mindset, it's run another way. It doesn't seem as if the center has any cohesion. And Um, that is my biggest issue, Heather. I mean, I, I will say in a workshop, if I had a magic wand, the first thing that I would do is make sure that the program is consistent. And to that, I would even say, if you want to be consistently inappropriate, then start there, but make sure everybody's on the same page. And now let's start making a game plan. What, mm-hmm. what absolutely frustrates and makes me furious like a Tyrannosaurus Rex with little arms because I can't do nothing about it is that you've got one classroom, one school, one building, and you've got 14 programs under one roof. And Jeff has heard me rant about this and I'm sorry, Jeff, for the repeat. It makes me crazy. And Let, it doesn't help the kids and it doesn't help it. It doesn't help the, the children. Field. It doesn't help the parents. It doesn't help the community because yeah. now we're perpetuating inconsistent ideas as to what appropriate early childhood education looks like. It's crazy. You know, my mom, um, my mom taught preschool at school for young children for 40 years. In fact, she's still volunteering in the classroom, but, um, she was often teamed up. They had teams of three teachers in their classrooms. And sometimes she'd come home and say, well, I'm being, I'm I'm being put on a team with so-and-so because she's still new. And I once said, well, how new is she? And she said, oh, she's only been teaching 12 to 15 years. Oh, my God. (laughs) And she said, you know, she still needs somebody who really gets this philosophy of the school to be in the same room when she starts to drift into, you know, the way her first program, which was a more controlling one, was, or the way she was brought up. And I said, interesting that you're still considered new and still need that constant daily mentorship after 12 to 15 years. But that school really has the cohesion. And I I think you need to have um, guidance from the the top and into every classroom with, with this philosophy. And you need to see that it's going to be consistent to circle back to what Barb Chernofsky said about children need boundaries to know that they need, they need boundaries to see that they're still there, right? Not, not to make them bigger. And I think that is why mentoring can be 
so effective. This is how we do it here Monday through Friday. Not when we're in a good mood, not when it's nice weather, but this is what happens here. And I'm the person that's gonna bounce you nicely back in, I call them guardrail. Bev called them guardrail people. I'm gonna keep bouncing you back in. You've drifted, let's bring mm -hmm. you back. Bounce, bounce, right. bounce. So I'm gonna give you some birth. I'm gonna give you a birth, wide birth perhaps if you're new, but I'm gonna make sure that you don't deviate that too far out of that. Yeah, and, yeah. and beyond and beyond mentoring, it, the whole idea of apprenticeships as being the way to learn the craft of early learning is something I really wish we would we would embrace a little bit more fully because the the model we have for training people now, it, I mean, it just doesn't work, and we've all been doing this long enough that it, it just it's just it's not, not working. it's not working for the number of people we need to do this job well in in our society and you look at the the apprenticeship model and i think it really holds a lot of benefits there uh heather your story reminded me of this old old bricklayer i i met when uh back in the day we were having our, our child care center building uh renovated and he he'd been laying bricks for 50 years and he had I mean, on his crew, I mean, he had his own company by this point, and he had, he had one guy working on him that had been working for him for 25 years, and he was the kid. Yeah. Because because mm -hmm. he was he was still learning. Now this old guy he could he could look at a a wall of of, of brick, uh, forty foot long and twenty foot long high, and and just know it was level and plumb by his eye, and the kid still needed to get the level out once in a while. Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of thing, and and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, connection there. Yeah, you and think just about, think, oh, go think ahead. about how more nuanced children are, a, gr a room full of children are than bricks. I mean, there's there's a lot of in in all the trades, there's a lot of years to put in to be good, but still, I would say that a child is more complex than a brick, and so and then we give very strange education. What I find strange in the education training world is that people may get a degree in this field and may have taught in the field for a while, but then I come in and give a workshop and what I'm presenting is new information. And Absolutely. I think, how can this be well, new? It's the basics of it all. It's the absolute foundation. Well, Absolutely. Heather, that's why, you know, I, I've been giving workshops now for almost 22 years. And I even said that in the introduction of the new book. I mean, I'm not singing a different song. The nuances are changing, right? Because maybe there's more data that supports what we're all out there saying. But at the end of the day, I'm like the chorus line. I'm like the Lion King, you know, of, of theater, of early childhood education. Like, oh my God, the show is still running? Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when is the Lion King and chorus line not going to be needed anymore? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling a little distracted because I'm that type. For your listeners, I used to have kids line up on a line, one, two, three, eyes on me, crisscross, applesauce, eyes on me, one, two, three. Um, I, they had to sit where their name was at the lunch table. Um, they had to sit on their letter at the carpet. Um, was, there, was their letter a random letter or was it like their name, first letter well, of their name? But see, that was funny because Laminade Lady would be like, sit on your letter. And then one year there were three kids with A names. And she was like, shh, what, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> Make them change their names, do obviously. Of, do I get rid of Z, Y, and X because there's no kid named Xavier? <laughs> um, yeah, so, the, the, and that was shortly before Cindy came in. But those were the things that I, and I call it in the book, breaking up with. 
these are the things you're mm-hmm. starting to breaking up with. Yeah, that's one thing I love about your book is you have these lists saying about things to break up with. And of course, the list could go on and on, but that really helps, I think. It's just, it's a relationship you've had. It's something you're comfortable with. It's a habit, but it's time to break up with something. And you know, Wait, another thing I'd love us to, oh, I'm just sorry, to I touch on. Say, I, I was just going to say, and it reinforces the idea that relationships are at the core of what we do. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate that you picked up on that because it was kind of subtle and I didn't want to point it out, but I, I, I appreciate that you connected the breaking up with the idea that relationships are at the heart of what we do. It's absolutely the heart. Um, I wanted to just, uh, something you mentioned in the book about, and I hear this a lot when I talk to groups, is, well, we can't do that because of licensing. Oh my um, God, and that's you, a whole you, I know, but you you called out on it's easier to hide behind the excuse of a licensing requirement. Um, So if you're thinking of change, please don't use that as your excuse. Dig deeper, talk to people, figure out. In fact, I asked a whole room full, I said, all right, we're talking about schedules. And they said, well, but that's state law. We have to have a posted schedule with exactly what we're doing. And so then I said, all right, how do you get around that? Because there were some directors in the room who were very understanding about true play. And I said, how do you, what what does it say on your schedule? And everybody pricked up their ears. And she said, well, we post the required schedule because it is required in, in their particular world. But we put an asterisk. And at the bottom, it says, subject to change based on what happens with the kids that day. So one little asterisk got them total freedom, even though they had to meet the letter of the law. Mm -hmm. But you have to be willing. And see, and that goes back to the intention behind your work. If you know that this is your job and this is what you want to be doing, you are willing to put in the time, the effort, and the energy to find out where to put that asterisk. And too many people are lazy and they hide behind, well, we can't do that. This is what we have to do. You know, it takes energy to find where the asterisk needs to be strategically placed. And mm-hmm. that's who needs to be working in our child care setting. Right. And I also think that that's where the cohesive vision comes from, from the director of the program, which is, it's really that their job. Maybe every classroom teacher can be on board with it, but they don't. Each person doesn't have to individually do all their research. It's a collective, and you you figure out who's the best person to undertake that task, and you work on it as a team because we're a team for the kids, and it's got to come through that way. I agree 100%, and unfortunately, I think um, our our skill set is still fragmented. Like, I have to – I feel – this is not Lisa Murphy speaking, but I think it's the (laughs) – it's that I feel that I have to be the boss of everything that goes on in this room. Whereas it would make your job a lot easier and more effective if you were willing to delegate. And I think what you just said, Heather, is very much that delegation mindset. Hey, I'm willing to read the regs and I'm willing to point out where this is happening. Hey, I'm willing to make all the Play-Doh for everybody in the room. Hey, I'm willing to be the parent liaison. Like diversify, find out where your strengths are. But if you're yeah. so busy being focused on being the best of the teacher in the classroom, I don't think you're as willing to be open to the fact, I don't know, Jeff, help me. What am I saying? I don't know. That no, I mean, you don't we, have to be the boss of everything. You don't and have to be the boss of everything. Think they have to be the boss of it all. 
Well, I, th- I mean, it's kind of a human thing, though. We all we all like power and control in our lives. And I, I get into this and in some of the burnout stuff that I do, that if you're working in a room full of little people, that you can make do whatever you want, and you feel a lack of control and every other hour of your life away from work, you are going to glom on to that feeling of power because it feels good to be in control and feel powerful. And if you don't have that anyplace else, you're, you're going to hold on to it where you can have it. And yeah, so we always talk about having kids find, if they're seeking power, well, then give them chances to experience power, whether it's jumping on bubble wrap or throwing rocks in a stream. So you as an adult need to seek out those places. Yeah, seek too. out those places of power where you can have a little bit of power and control over your life away from work, and then you can give up some of it in the classroom. Yeah. One so little- I would like to wrap this one up by saying if Lisa Murphy can start in the dark side and come to the place of enlightenment where she is now, where kids really can be kids and can get their needs met and can be respected as developing human beings, then you can too. You can go from the place wherever you are and go a step forward, not all at once. And there's some great ideas, Lisa, in your book, Being Child-Centered, about how to approach some of this change. Because it can be a little big and scary, um, but you definitely can't go it alone. Um, You do need people around you if you're making some changes. So get the team together, get some discussions going. We've had a great time discussing together, the three of us, but get your own people discussing these things with you because you can't fight it among the other adults. You need to have the adults on your team too. There you go. You find Lisa Murphy at ooeygooey.com. You find Heather Shoemaker at heathershoemaker.com. If, you, uh, if you've made this journey yourself, because one of the things we want to start focusing on a little bit more on the Renegade Rules podcast is, is highlighting people's journeys because it's a, good, it's, it's a good way for people who are on their journey to hear other people's stories. You can get a hold of us at playvolutionhq.com slash podcasts slash renegade and uh, leave a message there. And, uh, and we'll try to work you into the show at some point because that's, a, that's one of our goals here with Renegade Rules uh, going forward. Anything else for the good of the order, Heather? Yeah, and if you have a great story to share but you're not feeling like you want to be the one talking on the podcast, we can take your story too um, And if you want to share it and you don't have to be on the spot. But we also would be happy to have you join in um, the actual conversation. And you can, you can actually post in the comments that link I shared anonymously um, if you want to. If you want to share those stories there, that would be great. Yes, Lisa Murphy. Lisa Murphy, you raised your hand, didn't you? You just did a thing with your, okay. Um, Lisa. I did. Because in the new book, uh-huh. in the new book, I'm um, sorry, it's saying my internet connection is weird. Um, I have a Jenny Chapman's cycle of change, which actually I think is a, just photocopy it. You know, I, how to actually anticipate changing your practice. And it's a very beautiful, accurate, helpful circle diagram of, how to actually start to change your practice and what to anticipate when you start to do it. There you go. Another reason to get out there and order that book. This has been the Renegade Rules Podcast. Back soon with another episode. Not, I mean, in a week. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker.
This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.